Hi, welcome to an all new episode of Spirituality with a Twist, the podcast where we explore the mysteries of spirituality and the science behind it, while digging deep into personal growth as well. I'm your host Mithilesh and today we are joined by a very special guest who has a very powerful story to share. Terry Tucker is a cancer survivor who has used his experience to find deeper meaning and purpose in life. Through his journey, he has discovered the power of faith, resilience, and personal growth. In the face of adversity, his insights and wisdom will inspire you to embrace your own struggles and find meaning in the midst of difficult times. In this episode, we'll explore Terry's spiritual journey, discussing how he found hope and healing through his faith and the support of loved ones. We'll also delve into how his experience with cancer have shaped his life work and how he continues to inspire others to overcome obstacles and achieve greatness. So get ready to be inspired and uplifted by his incredible story because this is Spirituality with a Twist. So first of all, Terry, welcome to the podcast. Well, Mathelis, thanks for having me on. I'm really looking forward to talking with you today. So, Terry, our listeners are already aware of you and what you have gone through and what you're going through and all of your stuff that you do. So, why don't you take us way back somewhere to your childhood? And what were you like then? And can you also tell us about your experience battling with your disease called acral melanoma and how it has shaped your life and perspective on spirituality? Oh, absolutely. So um, I, I grew up, I am the oldest of three boys. I have no sisters. Uh, I grew up in a great family. My parents were, were there for us. Uh, I think they taught us the value of family, of loving each other, caring for each other, and supporting each other. And I think I was lucky in that regard because it that carried over. It carried over to the way my wife and I have raised our daughter. And it certainly carried over to the fact that um, my faith is an incredibly important part of my life. I honestly don't believe I would have gotten through this 11-year battle with cancer had I not had a faith in God, had God not been uh, a central par- part of my life. Um, and so fast forward to um, 2012. I was a girls' high school basketball coach in Texas here in the United States. And I had a callus break open on the bottom of my left foot, right below my third toe, and initially didn't think much of it because as a coach, you're on your feet a lot. But after a few weeks of it not healing, I made an appointment and went to see a podiatrist, a foot doctor friend of mine, and he took an x-ray and he said, I think you have a cyst in there and I can cut it out. And he did. And he showed it to me. It was just a little gelatin sack with some white fat in it. No dark spots, no blood, nothing that gave either one of us concern. But unfortunately, or fortunately, he sent it off to pathology to have it looked at. And then two weeks later, I received a call from him. And as I mentioned, he was a friend of mine. And the more difficulty he was having explaining what was going on, the more frightened I was becoming. Until finally, he just laid it out for me. Yeah, and we were talking earlier, you know, when you and I uh, were talking before we jumped on this about how rare this disease is. He said, Terry, I've been a doctor for 25 years 
and I have never seen the form of cancer that you have. You have this incredibly rare form of melanoma that appears on the bottom of the feet or the palms of the hands, and that started my 11-year journey dealing with cancer. So, you know, as you mentioned, having the cancer and so such a rare disease and any kind of cancer, it's it's painful physically, emotionally it is. So how did you cope up with the, how did you cope up with the physical and emotional pain, uh, pain during your treatment? And what role did spirituality play in your healing process that you're still going through? Yeah, I, I, you know, I was, I think I went through initially when I found out all the stages that we would associate with grief. I think that's where it started for me. You know, first it was denial. I, I can't possibly have cancer. I've done everything right in my life. You know, and, and then you you kind of get mad. It's like, I've done everything right in my life. How can I possibly have this? And then, at least for me, it was a bargaining, sort of a bargaining with God. You know, my our daughter was in high school at the time I was diagnosed. I was bargaining. It's like, hey, let me live long enough to see her graduate from high school. And then I, I in all honesty, I got down a little bit, a little, little depressed. And then I just kind of came out the other side of it of, okay, I do not like these cards that I have been dealt, but I'm going to have to play these cards to the best of my ability. And I can't do this alone. This isn't, I, I don't think anything, especially something this, this dire, because as, as I, as you and I were talking again earlier, when I was diagnosed, I was told that if I got a miracle, I would live another five years. If I didn't, I, I might live a year or two. And here it is 11 years since I was diagnosed and I'm still here. And I don't think that's by accident. I, I think that's literally by the grace of God because after I had my tumor cut out initially, I was put on uh, a weekly injection of a drug called interferon because the doctors didn't have any, like I said, it, it was a death sentence. They didn't have anything. So they put me on this drug called interferon and, and I, I had the flu every week for two to three days, every week, for five years. Think about that. I mean, having the flu every week for five years as a side effect of this drug that they were just hoping would keep the cancer at bay. And so I I was so sick of being sick that I prayed to die. I, I was just like, look, this isn't living. This is just not dying. And And I think there's a difference between the two. And I felt I was in this not dying phase. I wasn't contributing. I was just taking. And so, you know, you don't do this by yourself. You you do this with your family. You do this with your friends. You do this with your doctors. And you do this with your God. And I remember, fast forward, you know, to 2020, I had my leg amputated. And I had these tumors in my lungs. And about eight months later, my doctor showed me my CAT scan. And, and I, I can't read a CAT scan. I have no medical background, but I kind of would like, well, that doesn't look like it's supposed to be there. I had these big tumors in my lungs and I had fluid all around the pleural spaces on the outside of my lungs. And I remember looking at my doctor and saying, how, how was I alive? And he kind of got this grin on his face and he sort of shook his head and he said, I don't know, because you shouldn't have been, which said to me that God's not done with me yet. You know, when I die, where I die, how I die, way above my pay grade. Don't spend a lot of time worrying about the dying part of it. Just trying now to do anything I can 
with what God wants me to do with whatever time I have left. You mentioned about having the flu for the five years, you know, and that was that must have been such a hard thing to even think about. And I think about like every day for five years, like if someone has a flu for one week, it, it can get frustrated. Now you said you have five years of that. And you mentioned praying at like you were sick of being sick. So you prayed to God that I just won't die. So did you have a thoughts in your mind to commit suicide or even like, uh, you know, the, there's kind of a, uh, what do you call it? assisted suicide in a lot of countries that you can do? You never had the thought, but you, you, were, you were praying that if I can die naturally, then I, I will. But yeah, you were frustrated with it. Yeah, I, I was. I mean, I live in a state here in the United States where uh, we have assisted suicide. It, it, is, it is an option. It is not something I ever considered. I, I don't feel that uh, certainly in my religion, uh, it, it would be against my religion. And I never thought about taking my own life. I was just praying that in some way that, you know, that this either the disease itself, the cancer itself, or the medications I would on, I was on would take me. You know, there, there, there would be, I, I wouldn't be involved in it, that it would just happen. Uh, but no, I, I never thought about taking my life. I, I think life is sacred. Even suffering allows you to, you know, to, to gain something, to learn something. And, and, I, and I really believe this. I, I don't just say this. I think cancer has made me a better human being. It's made me appreciate more things. It's made me care about people more. It's made me love people more. It's made me want to make the world a little bit better with whatever time I have left. So you mentioned that when I was reading about you that uh, one of your guiding principles is to control your mind or it will control you. So can you elaborate on that a bit and share any specific strategies that you use to maintain a positive mindset? Yeah, I, I think I think controlling your mind, I, I think your mindset, everything you do in life, I think believe I think starts in your mind, starts between your ears. And if you can't control your mind, especially when you're in and I'll use pain as a generic word, you know, however, however you want to define that. You have to be able to control your mind right then, because if you don't control it, your mind is going to control you. And, it, and I mean that by if you don't get on top of it, if you don't say, all right, no, I'm going to be in charge of this, not you, because if you let your brain do it, your brain will go to all those dark places where, you know, I feel bad and, oh, you know, this is all about me and look how I'm suffering and all that stuff that that does nobody any good. That that doesn't do you any good whatsoever. So I think it's incredibly important that you control your mind. And I learned this when I was probably 15 years old. I, I played basketball when I was started when I was nine years old and actually got a scholarship here in the United States to play basketball in college. And I remember I had knee surgery when I was 14, 15 years old. And I remembered when I went back playing basketball after those knee operations that I had, my brain was putting all kinds of negative thoughts into my mind. You know, things like, hey, you're probably stepped slower since your surgeries and college coaches aren't going to be interested in recruiting you because of your operations. And I remember thinking, wait a minute, I am still playing at an elite level and coaches are still reaching out about the possibility of playing for their college or university. I learned then that, that I had to change the narrative. I had to change the, the mindset that we all have. And, I, and I'll give you an example. If I were to take a basketball and go out on the court right now and shoot a particular shot, 
there would be a certain area that would engage in my brain. And if we could look at it under an MRI, there would be a certain area that would light up. If I thought about taking that basketball and going out on that court and shooting that shot, that exact same area of my brain would engage or would light up under an MRI. So whether you physically do something or whether you think about doing it, same area your brain lights up. So I always caution people to be very careful how you talk to yourself. And, and you know, I, whether we like you to admit it or not, we all talk to ourselves. We all that is inner dialogue that that goes on. And if you're set, if you're telling yourself, for example, if you're taking an algebra class and you're saying, "Oh, I'm really bad at math," and and, and I'm not going to get a good grade in this, if you say that over and over and over again. Eventually, you're, you're going to hardwire. You're going to yeah. develop a negative mindset about that. Like yeah. I said, so but you're going to hardwire your brain so that you're not going to be able to be. Good. Yeah, you program yourself, and you exactly know, you. Totally and then you do. say that oh, why I'm feeling negative, why I'm feeling depressed, because you are the one who have programmed yourself to feel exactly. In that so exactly, you mentioned that you got your leg amputated in 2020, uh, 2020 right? Yeah. So before that, you 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 were like they diagnosed so. Uh, during those years when you had the fight, your legs were actually fine. You were doing something else, like, or you were just at your home. So, like, what was, uh, like, you mentioned you played basketball at the elite level. So, it must have been your passion, your sort of life, and, you know, this disease must have caused us so much trouble. And now you can obviously not play it uh, with legs. But during that time, what was going on in your, uh, like, uh, professional life? Uh, nothing. I, I, I really have not worked since I was diagnosed. So I was diagnosed and then I spent five years on interferon, the, the drug that gave me the severe flu-like symptoms. When that stopped working, uh, I eventually uh, had to have my foot amputated. That was the first thing that occurred. Um, and then I was on a, um, a maintenance kind of, of drug uh, to try to keep the disease from coming back, uh, a biologic type of therapy, that did not work. Uh, the cancer worked its way up my leg. I had two more surgeries in 2019 uh, uh, for the cancer. In 2020, it ended up my entire lower leg. Everything below my knee was full of cancer, and I had these tumors in my lungs. So right in the middle of the COVID pandemic, I had my left leg amputated. And then since then, I've been on a chemotherapy regimen. And now for the last two and a half years, I've been on a clinical trial drug that I actually just came off at uh, Friday or a couple of days ago. Um, I just came off that. And I, I go to the hospital for an entire week, uh, every three weeks. And I've been doing that for the last two and a half years. And it's keeping the cancer at bay. It's keeping it stable, but it's still there. So I've, it's just been one thing after another over these past 11 years. It's a lot of struggle. And, uh, you know, I was also reading that you had uh, written a book that is called Substantial, uh, Substantial Excellence. Sustainable Excellence, sorry. Sustainable Excellence that outlines principle for leading an uncommon, extraordinary life. So yes. how do these principles connect with spirituality and philosophy, in, in your opinion? Um, it, some of them do, some of them don't. A lot of them uh, go back to like um, the 10 principles. One of them that 
really resonates with me. And, and I'm sort of ashamed to say that it does because it's, it's not something I'm necessarily proud of. But one of them is most people think with their fears and their insecurities instead of using their minds. And I know I've done that. I know I've wanted to do something and it'd be like, oh, wait a minute, maybe I'm not smart enough or maybe I don't have enough knowledge to do that. Or what if I fail? What will people say about me? That's thinking with our fears and our insecurities. That's not thinking with our minds. And I always, when I speak to groups, especially groups of young people, I always tell them, if there's something in your heart, something in your soul that you believe you're supposed to do, but it scares you, go ahead and do it. Because at the end of your life, the things you are going to regret are not going to be the things you did. They're going to be the things you didn't do. And by then it's going to be too late to go back and do them. So, you know, part of the, the uh, principles are controlling your mind. Part of them are, you know, you are the person you're looking to become. Even if you're not that person yet, you will get to that point. So sort of think about like, okay, I want to be like this, or I want to do like this. It's kind of like the uh, character, you know, the, how, how we, how we conduct ourselves. Character, I believe is caught, not taught. So you're not going to read a book and say, okay, I'm going to have great character because I read this book. You're going to look at people and say, I like the way that person does that, or I like the way that person conducts themselves or, or whatever. And so character is something that I, I remember, I, I'll give you a quick story. I was, at, I was on a job interview. It was for a marketing position. And I went in to talk to the executive vice president. And we spent 90 minutes, an hour and a half, talking about from the time I was born until I graduated from college. He didn't ask me one question about marketing, my philosophy on marketing, how I could help the company in a marketing capacity in any way. And I, I remember thinking how weird that was. He wanted to know, you know, what was it like growing up? What was it like playing basketball? What was it like having knee surgery? What was it like, you know, doing all these things? But it was just the first 20 years of my life, 21 years of my life. And I remember taking, taking the, the job and I asked him, I'm like, hey, when we interviewed, you, you had some kind of weird questions. We're talking about my childhood and stuff like that. He said, yeah, absolutely. And he said, here's why. He said, I got plenty of people that'll tell me if you're a good marketer or not, if you're good you know, in the marketing. He said, but I want people of good character. And I believe... Your character is developed in the first 20 years of your life. So that's why I spent all the time asking you about what it was like growing up. You know, you mentioned about the character. It's interesting because I've, 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 I'm not sure if somebody has told you or not, but you resemble a lot to the, uh, you know, actor Jim Carrey. If somebody has told you that. They you have. Know, yes. And your expression, your wife, you, you resemble a lot to, like him, uh, to be honest, when I was uh, thinking about the character was making me smile. So... You know, uh, as you mentioned that, uh, yeah, I think, you know, I, I tell you, there was a really famous hotel in India, in Mumbai. It's called the Taj Mahal Hotel, if you have ever heard about it. So it, it's, yeah. it's, so it had a terrorist attack on 26-11 uh, on Mumbai uh, in uh, 2000, uh, 26-11. So it had a terrorist attack. That time, the hotel staff saved almost so many people that time. So on those who started, they were newly recruited. They were not like really old in that uh, working there, but they saved uh, the lives there and they were young, pretty young, the staffs there. 
And it became a big headline that how the staff of Tata Hotel is so good and, you know, so professional. They gave up their life to save the, the, uh, the people who were living in the hotel. So it kind of became a big buzz. And later on came to know that the ghost staff, the Tata, how they hire people in the hotel is based not on their experience. That was one part, but on their character that how they are and what they are, what's their background and what kind of person they are, if they are kind, if they are, you know, like that. And that helped them see, see this, this attack is a proof that, that if they didn't have those kind of good people, good character people, many people would have been dead in their terrorist attack. And so many people got saved because of their uh, character, you know. And, you know, when I'm thinking about cancer, people you know, people you love, Everything can change. Relationships can change. You know, it could just be like from here to here. People you thought would uh, be at your worst day, they are not there anymore. You see their real faces. It happens really quickly. And, you know, so tell me, this is, I think, a really interesting question, but I think I should ask it, that how did the experience of going through cancer treatment impact your relationship with family members or really close friends? Yeah, you know, it, it, it impacted it, I think, mostly in a positive way. I mean, nobody wants to get cancer. Nobody wants to, you know, have their, their appendages amputated and, and to be sick. And, and you know, you, you see people, when I go for treatment, you see people at their ugliest. You know, they're, they feel bad. They're throwing up. They're, you know, they're, they're snotting out of their nose. It's just ugly in all the, in all the way around. But there's, there's a certain amount of, and I don't even know what the word is. I, there, there's just a certain amount of, uh, yeah, the, what I want to say is character. There's, there's, it, 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 it brings out who you are. And, and, and I've seen people that have, have treated other people horribly. And, and I, I, I look at the nurses that take care of me and, and a lot of times they get they get yelled at or, you know, somebody, you know, well, why are you doing that? And things like that. And I know why, because the people being treated, they're afraid that they, they, they don't, they're not in control. We like to be in control or at least think that we're in control of ourselves, of our body, of what we think and stuff like that. And sometimes either the disease or the medication used to treat the disease makes us so that we're not in control that you know that we we can't stop this we can't we can't get a control we can't get get control of ourselves and so you you get to a point where you have a decision to make it's not any of the nurses fault it's not any of the doctors fault that i got cancer it's not their fault so why am i taking that out on them why am i treating them in any other way other than kindly and and that for me was a decision that i made early on I promised myself, no matter how bad I felt, no matter how lousy things were, I would never treat somebody that was trying to help me in a negative way. I would not yell at them. I would not get short with them. And I'll be honest with you, there have been a couple of times where I, I didn't do that, where I got, I remember I had a nurse that tried to put an IV in me and was having a hard time and, and wasn't able to do it. And and I was mad at her. It wasn't her fault, you know, that you. And I, and I apologized to her later. I, I said, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. You didn't do anything wrong. I was just frustrated and things like that. So I think, at least for me, cancer and the treatment of cancer has forced me to, to look at people as, like you talked about, the connection, you know, that, that, we, that we have with each other 
and to appreciate that connection and to foster it, not to be like, well, I've got cancer, I'm better than you, or I got cancer, you got to treat me a certain way. You don't have to treat me anyway. Treat me the way you always treat people. But I want to treat you as kindly as I possibly can. So you you mean to say that your relationships didn't got that worse because of this mindset that you had to be just yourself. So it didn't like became really bad. Like some people claim like, you know, it can be really like that. But, you know, still, I think, was it easy for you to, you know, so, because I, I would, I, as you said, that we, we tend to think that we need, we are in control you had. So what happens like, you know, people start seeing you in a way of pity. You know what I'm trying to say? So it's like, oh yeah, you got cancer and you know, so sometimes you wonder if they're really caring or no, they're just caring me for pity. So it can sometimes at the first few years, it kind of negativeness can come on because negativeness comes first most of the time. So did you have some kind of those thoughts also that these people are just only caring for me because I have now this cancer and they don't like now they just, this is showing affection. This is not love. You could have had these thoughts. How did you believe to control? Yeah, I, I think at, at least from a friend's perspective, I, I mean, you know, I, I talk about what I call my three F's, which are faith, family, and friends. And I, I think it's pretty clear how I feel about faith, you know, and it, that I have a very strong faith in God. And, and then you look at your family and, and your family, like it or not, you know, it, it, they're almost obligated to help you. You know, they're your family. They, they have to, to do this. And I, I'll give you a kind of a quick story. When I had my leg amputated, my oncologist, my doctor wanted to put me on chemotherapy for the tumors in my lungs. And I asked him, I said, is it, is it going to save my life? And he's like, eh, probably not, but it might buy you some more time. And I was eight years into this cancer fight, into this cancer journey. And I said, well, if the outcome is going to be the same, if I'm still going to die, I'm not sure I want to go through all that. I'd rather, you know, have a little less time, but have a better time, have a better quality of life. I said, but I'll go home and I'll, I'll talk to my family. And like I mentioned, it's my, my daughter and, and my wife and I. And so I go home and I start telling them the story. And, and my daughter, you know, who's like first year in, high, or in college, you know, it's like, all right, let's, let's have a family meeting. I'm like, family meeting? There's three of us. It's not like we got a board here or something like that. You know, it's not like we've got a, a big group of people. So, oh, okay, let's have a family meeting. So we sit around the kitchen table and individually talk about how we all feel about me having chemotherapy. And when we're done with that, my daughter's like, all right, let's take a vote. How many people want dad to have chemotherapy? And my wife and daughter raised their hand. I'm like, wait a minute, am I getting outvoted for something that I didn't want to do. But I remembered back, I, I part of my uh, occupation at one point in my life was I was a police officer. And when I was in the police academy learning to be uh, a police officer, our defensive tactics instructor used to have us bring a photograph of the people we love the most to class. And we were to look at that photograph as we learned different techniques to defend ourselves. Because he reasoned you will fight harder for the people you love than you will fight for yourself. So I ended up taking chemotherapy, not because I wanted to, but because I loved my family more than I loved myself. And if I look back on it now, it was the right thing to do because the chemotherapy was a bridge that got me to the drug that I'm on now that has kept me stable for the last two and a half years. It you more time, you say. Yeah, exactly. So, you know... What advice would you give to someone who is struggling with physical or emotional pain? 
but is hesitant to embrace it as a transformative experience because you mentioned that for you this has been a transformative experience rather than a painful experience in a way so what would you, what advice would you give to someone I guess let me start with this story. This is uh, this is something that happened back in the 1950s here in the United States at Johns Hopkins um, University, and it, it was a professor that took uh, did a very simple experiment. He took rats and he put rats in a tank of water that was over their head, and he wanted to see how long the average rat could tread water before they sank and drowned. And the average rat treaded water for about 15 minutes. And just as those rats were getting ready to drown, he reached in, grabbed them, pulled them out, dried them off, let them rest for a while. And then he took the exact same rats and put it back in that exact same tank of water. And the second time around, on average, those rats treaded water for 60 hours. Now think about that. The first time, 15 minutes. I'm just not going to fail. I'm going to die. The second time around, 60 hours, which said to me two things. Number one, the importance of hope in our lives, that we have to believe, maybe not today, maybe not next month, maybe not even this year, but at some point in time in the future, our life will get better if we continue to do the things we know are important and positive in our life. And the second thing it taught me was just how much more our physical bodies can handle than we ever thought they could. We quit. We give up on ourselves physically long before we ever need to. And we do that because we can't control our mind. Our mind says, oh, I'm just too tired. I can't go on. I can't do this anymore. That's our mind talking. That's not our body talking. Our body's like, yeah, I I can do a lot more of this if you let me. But our mind overrules our body. So if you, again, going back to what we talked about earlier, you've got to be able to control your mind because we all become what we think. So that's really true. I think we become what we think, what we do, and what we consume as well. I think I, I would like to attribute three things to it, not just that. But you know, you held a, you mentioned that you had, you were a police officer, a police officer, and you held a corporate marketing job as well. So you held a variety of jobs through your career you know, corporate marketing, to serving as a police officer. So how have these diverse uh, experiences shaped your understanding of spirituality, your mindfulness, and overall yourself and its connection to different fields of other parts of your life? How did it impact that? I think certainly I I, I spent a a good chunk of my adult life as a police officer. And and that's that's a career or a, a job that, you you see the worst in people. I, I mean, nobody ever calls you just to say hi. You know, there's always, you know, there's some type of physical violence there. Somebody gets hurt. Somebody has a health crisis, whatever. You respond and you see people at their worst. And I think the, the thing you've got to remember, and one of the things I always remembered, and, I, and I'll give you this example. Say I pull you over uh, in a car because you run a stop sign or, you know, you're speeding and I give you a ticket. That for you may be the scariest thing that happens to you all year. To me, it's the second traffic stop of the night. You know, I may make one or two more after that in just that one day, in just that one shift. So you have to remember that you are dealing with people that, you know, you have authority, you have 
you know, in the United States, we carry guns and, you know, we, we wear bullet resistant vests and we have tasers and, and all kinds of things like that. But you have to remember that 99% of the people you deal with, you're never going to have to use those things. But there's always the chance that you are, and that's why you have them. So you have to understand people's fears and their concerns, and you have to basically adapt to them. It's not they have to adapt to you. And, and I think a lot of policemen feel that way, that, hey, you need to do, I'm in charge here. I'm the guy you, know, I'm the guy you gotta listen to. And while in theory that's true, how you conduct yourself, I always say, you can turn a yes person into a no person or a no person into a yes person. And the two biggest things that you bring to that job are your brain and your mouth. What you say and how you say it, and like I said, can turn a yes person into a no person or no person into a yes person. So, you know, you said that you you were like a, you you got you have a strong belief in God and it's because of him that you feel that you come so far in a way. So can you discuss about any specific spiritual practices or beliefs that you ha helped you navigate difficult times in your life during that phase and right now? I mean, sure. Um, I, I'll go back to, as I mentioned, when I had knee surgery, when I was 14, 15 years old. Um, this was a time just before arthroscopic surgery was available. So I, my first two knee surgeries, I have the the large kind of zipper scar on the outside of my knee. And I remember I, I was in the hospital for three or four days. I developed an infection uh, in the wound and I was in a lot of pain. So I was getting pain medication plus medication, antibiotics and things like that for the wound. And I remember waking up one night and I was hallucinating. I was seeing things that I, that I knew weren't there and I was scared. I mean, let's face it, I was a kid, you know, 14, 15 years old, I was still a child. And I remember calling home, calling home to my mom. And my mom answers the phone. And this was this was long before cell phones were available. So when you called the house at two o'clock in the morning, you're waking the whole house up, you know? So my mom gets on the phone with me and, and she calms me down. And she said, open the bedside table and the drawer there. She said, there's a rosary in there. Take out the rosary and start saying it. And, and that for me, on me down, gave me the reassurance I needed to say, okay, it's going to be okay. I'm, you know, we're going to work through this. And I, that's, that's really the first visible thing that I remember. The first time I can say, okay, there was a, a faith incident, something that, you know, I, I used my faith to help me in that regard. Um, there are several instances. I, there was a, a, a saint, a nun, uh, um, a sister who uh, was canonized a saint in the Catholic church. And she uh, lived for a period of time in the city where I live. And so every Sunday, we would go to that, that she actually lived at a hospital. We, we would go to that hospital and, and we would, you know, pray and we would do things like that. And, and even, even now, you know, I've gotten to the point and, I, and I've described, you know, the, the things, the incidents with you where I prayed to die. I, I, I didn't die, you know. I should have been dead with the tumors in my lungs, but I, but I wasn't dead. And, and so it's just been a tremendous sort of a snowball effect where you start with a small snowball, you roll it down the hill, and it just gets bigger and bigger. And I spend at least an hour every day in prayer. I, I've met a lot of people along my cancer journey who have asked me to pray for them. Um, and so I, I do. I spend a lot of time 
uh, praying for people. I, I pray for myself as well. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, I pray for the people that care for me, my nurses, my family, my doctors and things like that. And I pray for people that I've met that have said, hey, would you pray for me, Terry? And I've had people on podcasts that have prayed for me on the podcast. So I think prayer has been an incredibly important part of my cancer journey. You know, that's that's so humble that people who have done that, and I really appreciate them and also the, all the people that you prayed. And I think, uh, you know, 2020 was a big year, not just for everyone else, but, you know, as a COVID came in for you as well, but uh, COVID was also going on. So what was that time like, the 2020? Because where you have the COVID, you have everything. And uh, I would not say in a ba really bad tone, but you know, you, you sort of say that, oh my God, if, if uh, I have this COVID also, my family, someone gets it, you know, you, you have a kid, a, a young daughter, a wife, it's, it's going to be even because COVID was a bad, bad phase to all over the world. So how did you deal with that phase that time? You're absolutely right. It, it was, it was horrible. I, I mean, when I was, when I found out I had to have my leg amputated, I, I remember the morning of the surgery, my wife literally dropped me off at the hospital. I was not allowed because of COVID. I was not allowed to have anyone with me. Um, I was the only surgery scheduled for that day. So if you can think about a big room that just has curtains that, you know, would have patients in each of those little bays, you know, getting ready for surgery, I was the only person in that in this huge room because I was the only surgery scheduled for that day. My doctor had to get special permission just to amputate my leg because my leg was broken. It wasn't going to heal because it was all full of cancer. And I remember I was supposed to be in the hospital for 10 days to two weeks to learn how to function without, without a leg, without having you know a, a, one of my legs. I was in the hospital for 48 hours and then sent home. Again, all because of COVID. So I literally did not leave the house. You know, we we didn't we didn't see anybody. Nobody came in. It was just our family, and we were very cautious. I I unfortunately, because of this trial drug that I'm on, I have a very high sensitivity to vaccines. So I've had two COVID boosters. They have both put me in the hospital. The last one almost killed me. I, I mean, my blood pressure went down. My heart rate was high. I had a terrible fever. I was shaking. I, I mean, the doctor literally came in and said, "If you, if your heart were to stop, would you, would you want us to resuscitate you? Would you want us to bring you back?" And I remember I was so apathetic. I was so I don't care. I looked at my wife and I said, "You decide. You decide whether I live or die. I, I don't care at this point in time. That's how much I hurt at that point in time." And that was all COVID related. It was so terrible, so terrible, and it was such a tough time for the whole humanity and for you as well, I think, you know. And I think one thing that uh, people, I think, see is like when, when they have uh, problems in their life, they feel they are the only ones suffering. But I think the world has so much of that. Until you meet a person like that, you don't, you know. If, if you go back 20 years from now on, you might feel a sort of small things might depress you. But now you look at yourself, you think, oh, I may be the depressed person. But you know, there might be more even. So I think this is an acceptance that need to come that I'm just one of them, and uh, but I'm still alive and yeah, still talking. I still have my voice. So you know your work emphasize your work emphasizes uh, the importance of personal growth and continuous improvement. How do you translate this into actionable steps or habits for individuals looking to better themselves? 
here's what I'd recommend. And, and it, it it's a really simple thing to do, but people won't do it. And, and here's what I recommend. Do one thing every day that scares you, that makes you nervous, that makes you feel uncomfortable, that's potentially embarrassing. It does not have to be a big thing. You know, get up an hour earlier or, you know, um, I'm on the couch. I, I want to go work out. Oh, I don't feel like it. So I walk. No, go work out. Do things that make you uncomfortable. Because if you do those things every single day, when the big disasters in life hit us and they hit all of us, you know, we lose somebody who's close to us. We get let go from our job. We find out we have a chronic or a terminal illness. You'll be so much stronger, so much more resilient to handle those things than the people who never do anything that's uncomfortable. Our brains are hardwired to avoid pain and discomfort and to seek pleasure. So to the brain, the way things are right now, the status quo, hey, it's comfortable, it's familiar, just leave it alone. The problem with that is the only way we're going to grow, the only way we're going to get better, the only way we're going to improve is if we step outside those comfort zones and do things that make us uncomfortable. That's why I say people won't do it. It's a really simple thing to do. Just pick something every day that makes you uncomfortable and do it. But people are like, I, I don't want to do that. I, I like being comfortable. So people won't step outside their comfort zone. So, you know, you mentioned that leaving behind a positive impact on others is one of your guiding principles, which we had a free call. You mentioned about that to me. How do you strive to achieve this in your daily life, though? I, I try to I try to walk the walk in addition to talking the talk. You know, I, I it, it's it's one thing to come on a podcast like yours and say, oh, here, here's how you do it. But if you haven't done it, if you haven't walked the walk, it's it's very it's very difficult. And, you know, I, I, I think it's important for all of us regardless of what stage of life we're in, whether we're young and just starting out, whether we're middle-aged or whether, you know, you're old like me, kind of coming to the end of your life, to think about that end game. What, what, what legacy are you leaving? What impact on people are you leaving? What are people going to say about you at your funeral? What do you want people to say about you at your funeral? I remember when I had my leg amputated, and I had the, found out these tumors in my lungs. When I healed from my amputation, I went to the mortuary. I went to the cemetery and I went to the church and I planned my funeral. And because I go on uh, podcasts like yours and, and I, I talk to groups about motivation and the need to keep moving forward, I actually got some brushback from people who commented that somehow planning my funeral was in some way defeatist. And I kind of had a laugh. You know, it's like last time I checked, we're all going to die. I don't think anybody's working on a cure for life right now. You know, everybody's going to die, but not everybody is really going to live. And I, I heard a Native American Blackfoot proverb here in the United States many years ago, and it goes like this. When you were born, you cried and the world rejoiced. Live your life in such a way so that when you die, the world cries and you rejoice. I that's I, I have heard about this. And you know, I, I I really follow a great spiritual guru. He was really popular in the States uh, as well. His name was Osho. So he, yeah, yeah so he, he once uh, said like, and I was hearing on this, he said, 
how does Blaine pr- play tricks in your mind? He gives he gives a great example. He say, you go out, you look, you go to funerals, you go to so many places. You see, people are dying, but the brain tells you you are not dying. So many people die every day, but you are still there, fit and fine. So you never think about the death. You think I'm not going to die. I cannot. In a way, like you physically always have this. Look at everyone, like if they are living their life that they think death is not there. And I have heard these stories in so many ancient stories too. Like some people have this, uh, some kind of fantasy, like everyone is dying, but I'm not going to die. But you had to understand that everybody is going to die and you have to start preparing for it. It is just a natural thing, just as life is. But people take it as such a bad thing. You don't, they don't understand. It's not a bad thing. Because if you believe in God, you must believe in some kind of afterlife. Or even if you're atheist, then okay, death is dead. Whenever it's going to come, it's going to come. It's a truth that cannot be denied by any religion or any science or anything. Death is going to come one day. So you better start preparing for it. And as I said on one of my previous uh, recording that I was having with my guest, that after you leave, it doesn't matter if, if there's a God, if there is not a God, it's not going to matter. After you leave, what you left behind, the legacy, that is what's going to make people rejoice, as you mentioned, mention, or cry, rejoice, and you're going to be, yeah. But at the end moment, at your deathbed, you mentioned that on a pre-call, you don't want to feel that, you know, I didn't did that, but I wanted to. You wouldn't feel happy that I did what I wanted to do, I lived my life. Even today, if you die, today, right now, if you die, Terry, I think you would be happy that I did everything that I could. I didn't, I tried my best. You know, that's what keeps us going. You know, you mentioned about... Uh, Can I follow up with that real quick? Yeah. So I, I, I guess, yeah, and, and you make a great point about, about that. And, and, and the way I look at it is this. And, and certainly here in the West, you know, we, we are conditioned. We're bombarded with advertisements. And it, it, there's almost this feeling like we're born empty. And when we get out of school and we kind of get into life, we get a job and we start doing things, that our job is to consume. You know, I've got to get a good job and make money. I've got to have a nice house or and a nice car and a nice family. So we we consume. You know that we think that we're empty and we've got and we've got to do things in life that are going to fill us up and make us better, happier, stronger, whatever you want to call it. But what I've come to understand is it's just the opposite. We're not born empty. We're born full, and our job should be to empty ourselves out, you know, to, to say, okay, I'm going to take my gifts, my talents, whatever I have, and I'm going to empty it out into the world. So, you know, for the betterment of myself, my family, my friends, the world, my God, whatever it is. And if you look at it that way, all of a sudden, now you can have an impact on the world. You can make a difference in the people who are around you, who surround you, whose life you are part of, by emptying yourself out, not by what I can get, but what I can give. So, you know, you're mentioning, well, so you, I, I was reading when I was reading about, you had a blog called Motivational Check, and uh, it emphasizes on the importance of discipline and commitment in achieving personal improvement. So how do you see spirituality fitting to this message of personal growth and uh, a commitment and discipline because there is a lot of spirituality whenever we think about spirituality it's also a lot about discipline and leading a nice more more life so how do you see uh, spirituality fitting into your messages yeah i you know so I've, I've got this blog and it's called motivational chat and and you know it if you just look at the blog itself 
you you would say from the title that you know motivation is what you need. You you need motivation to be successful in life. And I would say to you, yes, but you also need other things. And and I always talk about if you have motivation, but you don't have discipline and good habits, motivation is not enough. If you have discipline, but you're not motivated and you don't have good habits, it's not enough. If you have bad habits, but you're disciplined and you're motivated, it's still not enough. You need all three of those. And I think motivation, discipline, and uh, good habits really is almost a spiritual type of journey. It, 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 it really kind of defines you. It really kind of makes you the person, you know, of good character. I, I always talk about people who, you know, we, 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 there are so many people in life that live a casual life. And because they live that casual life, their goals, their dreams, their ambitions, their purpose become a casualty of that unplanned living. There's a, an entrepreneur here in the United States that talks about the four types of people in the world. And, and the first group he talks about are the unmotivated. And, and these are, you know, very simple. That's the vast majority of people you will come across in your life. They're just unmotivated. They're just kind of muddling their way through life. The second group he talks about are the motivated, where it's kind of a carrot and stick thing. If I do this, I will get that. It's a life simply based on motivation. It's kind of low level, but it works for a lot of people. And then the third group he talks about are the inspirational people, where the word inspiration comes from two words, in spirit. If you're an inspirational per uh, person, you move people with your energy. And then the last yeah. group he talks about are the aspirational people, where people aspire to be like you. I think spirituality is a huge part of being an inspirational or an aspirational type of person. You know, this is a really interesting question that I think, I don't know if somebody has asked you that, but I, I thought I, I should. How has your battle with cancer influenced your perspective on morality and, and the afterlife? And if at all, it did. I don't know if it's if it's really affected it, 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 it either way. I, I think, you know, I've always tried to be a moral person. I've failed miserably along that journey many times, in all honesty. Um, and, you know, do I deserve heaven? Do I deserve the next phase in life? Probably not. You know, I, I mean, somebody asked, I heard one time, you know, how do you get to heaven? Well, you have to be perfect. Well, no, nobody's perfect, so nobody's in heaven. Well, yeah, there's a lot of people in heaven because God has sent, in, in my faith, has sent his son to die for my sins. And, and I'm not saying I can just go out and sin and be a, an immoral person for my whole life and then just say, hey, you died for my sins. I need to come to heaven. No, I, I, there is personal responsibility on my part. And like I said, I, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and tell you what a great guy I am. I, I think I have a lot of work to do, a lot of room for improvement. And I just hope that I do what I can and that I have lived a moral life so that I can lay that at the feet of God and say, hopefully this is enough that I can be with you for eternity. So I don't know if it's so much changed me. It's always been an important part. It may have honed it a little bit to know that, hey, I'm going to die. 
you know, and I'm probably going to die pretty soon. I better be ma- making extra special effort to see I can, how moral I can be, how much better I can become and what I can do to it. Like I said, to give instead of what I can get. So, you know, spirituality is such a big part of your life. Motivation is such a big part of your life. So a lot of people, you know, as you come from the era of the 90s or the 80s, you know, at that time, it was a bit different. But as marketing has gone, you know, to next levels and social media, smartphones, technology, everything has just gone to the next level. People have becoming more and more like robots. In, if you look at them, they, they think they're living, but they're not. You are pretty well aware of the, how has the mind has become now with our condition with the people. And a lot of people are becoming atheist and a lot of people are changing their perspective and questioning things. And again, becoming an atheist is not a bad thing, which I think, in my opinion, because I think it, it, it makes you become go uh, really honest and you can now examine everything. You're not ignoring because now you can look everything with a good perspective because unless you're in a specific faith, you sometimes become too devoted. And become too ignorant to other stuff, which is around a good thing of any wise person should do. Because I think even if you are in the faith, you should acceptly, open-mindedly look at other faiths and look what they are and their opinions are to have a good open mind. So what role do you believe spirituality can play in improving one's overall health and well-being, both physically and mentally, in your opinion? So uh, I'll, I'll give you a story that I think answers that. I, I had a nurse recently ask me, what it was like to have my foot amputated and then to have my leg amputated. And I told her, I said, it, it certainly has not been easy for me. I'm, I'm six foot eight inches tall. You know, learning to walk again uh, has been difficult for me. I, I spend most of my time in a wheelchair. But what I told her was, cancer can take all my physical faculties, but cancer can't touch my mind, it can't touch my heart, and it can't touch my soul. And that's who I am. That's who you are. That's who everybody who's listening to us is. And we spend so much time, like I said, you know, like you said, you know, we, we've got devices that, you know, well, this person said this about me on my, my cell phone or my iPad or whatever, you know, and it's like, well, okay, who cares? Who cares what they say? What do you think about you? And we spend all this time on all this exterior stuff but we don't spend nearly as much time working on who we really are, our heart, our mind, and our soul. There's a, there's a story that I, I, I don't know if it's true, but it, it's about Alexander the Great. And supposedly when Alexander the Great was dying, he called his advisors, his counselors around, and he said, hey, I, I want you to carry out my final three wishes. He said, my first wish is I want only my doctors to carry my coffin to my grave. The second wish is I want the road to the cemetery paved with uh, gold and silver and precious stones. And the third uh, wish is that I want my hands hanging outside my coffin. And one of his advisors said, "You're, you're Alexander the Great. You're the most powerful man in the world at the time. Why do you want these three wishes? He said, well, number one, I want my doctors to carry my coffin to the grave because I want people to understand that no doctor cures anybody. They only assist the body to cure itself. And people should be cognizant of how they treat themselves. You know, are they smoking? Are they drinking? Are they drug? All those kind of things matter. So I want people to understand that they need to take responsibility for their, their health. He said, secondly, 
having the road to the cemetery paved with gold, silver, and precious stones. He said, I've spent my entire life accumulating power and influence and wealth, and yet I want people to realize that none of that is going with me beyond the grave. And then finally, I want my hands hanging out of my coffin because I want people to understand that I came into this world empty-handed and I leave it pretty much the same way. And I think that's a very powerful story about what's really important in life. Alexander the Great, one of the most powerful men of all times, saying that all this stuff that we have means nothing. It means we none of it comes with us when we die. We'll occupy the same little pot, plot of land that they bury us in as the pauper who had absolutely nothing in this world, regardless of how much we have when we die. Yeah, I think that story, and I've heard that story also. It's pretty inspirational. And then as a, as a story, like, everybody's going to go like that, you know, no matter if it's Elon Musk, if it's you, if it's me, or anybody, you know, in a way. And uh, and that's what I think. And faith, you know, I think in any religion, like if you said you, you come from the Christianity, so Jesus, or if somebody believes in it, Allah, Islam, or Krishna, and Hinduism, or any deity they believe, or any time term, or even if they are atheist, it is like, it is a teaching that helps you to be a better person because all that Christ preached and preached in his life, in my opinion, was to spread love, to be a nice person, and do your service to God. And doing service to God is absolutely just doing service to the humanity itself. That is the service to God. That is the true service. God is not really worried about getting the, those candles or those things. You are aware of that because he doesn't need this. He needs that, okay, you lit, the, lit these candles in the homes of people who don't have light in their life. If you can do that, that is the true service. And that's what I think is the morality. And at least you cannot carry wealth. You cannot carry anything, maybe. But what you carry really is your karma, your good uh, deeds that you did in your life. And that peace happiness or love that you carry till your last breath as you mentioned your soul cannot be touched no matter what disease what bomb what anything it cannot be destroyed it is immortal it is immortal so it is going to live so that is what i think uh, motivates uh, motivates us more and no matter if it, even if someone is an atheist who have no faith any all he at the at last moment also would feel happy that i did everything i wanted so as you mentioned if it's scaring you if it's fearing you do it anyway do it. What's going to happen more than that? Nothing can happen more than that. So just do it and do what you wanted to do. And, you know, I, I tell you, interestingly, Jeff Bezos, if you know, so the founder of Amazon, <laughs> I, I assume it because you're in the content market, everyone knows him. So Jeff Bezos, once I was, I'm not sure where, he said this in some kind of interview, I saw him saying that. Uh, it was in India or somewhere else, he was saying that he was the president in one of the banks in America, a big bank, a wise president and he worked 15 years or 10 years to get there he became the vice president he was there the dot-com burst was coming and he had the idea of on amazon that time his colleague told him like jeff you had a great post right as a vice president in one of the biggest banks such good salary everything why you are so rid of getting this idea you can do this later on like three five years down the line it's okay this he said this opportunity can come later on. I, if I become vice president, I can become it again. But if I miss this one, this opportunity right now, founding Amazon, I don't think I can. I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna achieve that again. I don't think so. So I'm gonna quit now and do it. And he said they called me crazy. 
that I'm doing this. Everyone like called me free that I'm doing this kind of stuff, but turn out to be, you know, as, and he mentioned that one thing at the end, you would feel regret that you didn't talk the paths unknown. So that's whenever you feel that I had this opportunity to take this path, just take it. Because at the end, you would feel that I had the opportunity, I took those paths. So I would not regret, oh, I could have taken that. Oh, I could have done that. Why didn't I that time? You took it, you exploded. So explore all the ways, you know. And I like how Elon Musk also portrays it in one of his uh, interviews and podcasts that grab as much information as you can, keep good general knowledge, keep everything, you know. And that's a good thing worth having because it expands your perspective and you can help a lot of people. Just one verse, uh, Terry, can inspire so many. Just one verse of a Bible, maybe, can inspire so much. It can complete that piece of a puzzle that you're missing for such a long time, anywhere, I think. So, you know, you said that you have a, what is right now your goal, like, that you want to achieve, maybe, because other than that, that you not worry about your life, I think, in a way, but in a sense, what do you want to achieve that whatever time you have left, in a way, I, I, I wish you lived really long till your old age, I would be extremely happy, but in a way, uh, honestly, what is your goal, even when, how long you live, what is your goal in your life right now? My goal is really to, and it's going to sound really simple, is to put as much goodness, as much positivity, as much inspiration, as much motivation, as much love back into the world with whatever time I have left. That That's that's really, I, I don't, you know, I don't see myself being, you know, rich or powerful or famous or, you know, or anything. It's, this is what I do talking to, to nice people like you when I'm not in treatment. And, and so what message does God want me to put out there? What what do you want me to say? I, I, I say that every morning when I get up, God, what do you want me to do? Direct me in the direction that you want me to go, not the direction that I want to go, but that you want me to go. And I think right now, or what I feel is to put as much goodness back into the world as I possibly can. So... Can you share any upcoming projects or initiatives that align with your mission of promoting sustainable excellence and personal growth, which you just mentioned? Yeah, you know, Sustainable Excellence is a book about success. And, and, and I'm very proud of, of the book. I'm very, I'm very proud that I wrote it. But I'm thinking of, and whether this happens or not, I don't know. It's kind of in the, you know, I've been thinking about it for a long time, so that I'm, I'm thinking about possibly writing another book that also begins with a word that starts with S. You know, like I said, uh, sustainable excellence is about success. Whatever this next book is called, I would like it to be a book about significance. Success is what we do for us. You know, we're, we are successful at hosting a podcast or, you know, what, whatever we do, writing a book, being an author, whatever. Significance is what we do for other people. How can I be significant in someone else's life? So maybe having a book about success, I, and don't get me wrong, I think you can be both. I think you can be successful and significant, but I think the next the next step for me would potentially to be write a book about significance. I don't know what it'll be called. I don't know what'll be in it, but if that's what I'm supposed to do, I'm sure God will point me in the right way. That's really a, a great mindset that you have. And, you know, having cancer for such a long time, you know, as you mentioned, you almost did nothing during that time. 
absolutely. And it was like life had no purpose, no meaning, and it was like a pointless, you know, time. It's like a so depressing feeling, but you didn't, you didn't decide to quit. But it happens in, at one stage of a lot of people at a time. It could be due to some relationship, some some something. Not just always cancer, they could still feel the same what you are feeling in a way that I, this life is just so pointless. Youngsters feel that a lot, and that's why suicide rates are increasing year by year. Pretty aware of that because they find that life is such pointless. It's a really young age, like 17, they're feeling pointless. It's, it's amazing. So it's, it's also uh, like, I, I don't understand how this happens because of this pretendence or wall that we build around or these expectations or, or, or these uh, imaginations, I don't know, sometimes. What advice, finally, would you like to give someone who's listening to us right now and is struggling to find meaning or purpose in their life and particularly during really difficult times? I would, uh, again, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a story. I, I read a book called Do Hard Things. It's written by a man by the name of Steve Magnus. And one of the stories he tells in the book is about a, uh, a researcher, a psychologist, a professor, I don't remember who the person was, who, who did this study mostly with young people. And the study was pretty simple. He put young people into a room that had nothing in the room, no windows or anything, nothing in the room but a, but a desk and a chair. And they were not allowed to take in any of their devices, no phones, no you know, ear pot, nothing. So it was just them sitting in a room alone by themselves. The only other thing in the room was a buzzer that was on the desk. And if you press the buzzer, you got an electric shock. And during the course of this experiment, 78 or 75% or of the men and 25% of the women shocked themselves, including one guy who shocked himself every five seconds. So what that said to the researcher was that people can't, they don't know themselves. They are, their identity is tied to their devices. So what, what advice I would give to them, and I try to do this, and I'm, I'm not tied to my device. I'm, I'm old. I don't care whether I have a cell phone or, or any of this stuff. Or, I, I don't care. But for those people that are tied to it, what I, would, what I would suggest you do, and I do this every day, take 10 minutes, just 10 minutes a day. Go somewhere. You know, go to your bedroom. Close the door. Be by yourself. Just be alone with yourself for 10 minutes. I'm not talking about meditation or prayer or anything like that. Let your mind go wherever your mind wants to Just go. Just do anything. Just do anything you want. Think about whatever you want to think about. But be comfortable with yourself. Because I think that's one of the biggest problems right now. I remember reading somewhere that one of the biggest issues in the world right now is that the vast majority of people don't have even one human being with which they can be radically honest. Think about that. We don't have even the one person in our life that we can tell the truth to, that we can pour ourselves out and say, I'm scared or I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm worried or I'm nervous or I'm anxious or I'm, I'm whatever. We don't have anybody we can talk to. No wonder everybody's nuts. No, what, no wonder everybody's having mental health issues. We can't talk to each other anymore. So spend time with yourself being comfortable with you, once you do that, it's much easier than to, to get into groups, get into other people's life, and just ask people about themselves. 
I, that's the one thing I'd recommend people do right now. You know, I, on that, I would I like to add also my own opinion that I think, you know, as you mentioned, being alone with yourself is and doing absolutely anything. Because if you look at today, youngsters waking up phone, sleeping phone, and whatever they do essentially is because they are being directed into that. They are not they are not doing something that they want to do whenever they open okay let's say they open reddit or let's say they open twitter they see something then they do they are directed so even on your phone you're not doing something that you want to do okay then you start to read a book that is something that you decided to do that was not directed in a way but even that could be directed if someone recommended that what did you did yourself in your whole day was that even a one thing that you did by what you wanted to do except going to toilet <laughs> Because that's your body's call. Because even that is your body's call. What from your soul that you wanted to do? Or you wanted to eat a chocolate. Let's say that's simple. That's simple. You want to just eat chocolate right now. You want to eat ice cream. Or you want to just play a game. That's something you can do. Doing something. It's not like people. I I keep hearing this from people. Because they're so stupid. They keep saying. You have to do something. So really meaningful to come out of depression. It's stupid. Because first of all. they, ha they What is meaningful can be different to many people. For some people, talking to people could be meaningful. For some people, going out could be meaningful. Going to park, spending time with nature, such a beautiful world it is. Spending time with that could be meaningful. And this is across any belief, any place you are even doing meditation, doing yoga, physical activities like gym can relax you. Eating nice food, relationships can do that. And always remember one thing that nothing is permanent in life. It is not. No, no, nothing can be because life itself is temporary. First of all, you have to understand this. What can you keep permanent in life is only one thing. That is your faith and love. That is the only two things that you can keep together. And they, are, they are not different things. They are connected. So if you keep them together, you can really go far away. And what has happened today, Terry, I think people have locked their hearts. They're un imaginable amount of love they have they have as much love as god like god has given them infinite flow of a river like a river that never empties love is such a thing you can never be empty of that never 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 but people think that you know i cannot be loved oh i cannot they're always talking negative to themselves because as i said they are living the pretendence i know this uh, person i wouldn't like to name him but you know that that person is afraid of being judged and they are young, like like 17 or 18, but they are afraid of, yeah, he's going to think me that I'm fat or I'm this. And they are being afraid of almost, maybe they're not even thinking about that. You know, you heard about that thing in your 20s, you think they are thinking about me. In your 30s, you're sure they're thinking about me. In your 50s or 40s, you know, they're not thinking about any, any time of you. Like, you know, you heard that. And it's true because we always think they are, everyone is worried about me. Let's look at like you're a parent, okay? All parents think that my kid is the only kid who is going to get danger if they go out. They are the only one who's going to get shoot. So you're always right. Yeah? This is the problem. And I think parents are too attached to their kids. They don't know. You mentioned that on, on a pre-call that we don't let them go out and be themselves and a little bit on experiment. We just keep them too and close and attached. So that is also something that we need to do. And as I said, being be yourself. Just drop that wall make nice friends be a nice influence stop doing bad things if you think it's bad don't do that not for god not for anybody just for yourself 
you know because if you if you not do if you cannot do it for yourself forget god how can you do it for god if you cannot do it for yourself because people are selfish okay everyone is if you cannot do it for yourself then how can you do it for someone else like a god you know and always remember i would tell you this a really thing that i would like to tell there could be only two things in life either god or either you and a person who chooses himself is foolish so choose god dissolve yourself completely let go of your ego completely let go of all the worries be with god in a way spiritually and if you're not spiritual in a way of with uh, like a religion then just connect with yourself be your honest self be express yourself say everything because if there's no god you need to be fair so just say whatever you like to say don't be afraid to say things right and as i said buddha you know i i really uh, like his some of his saying he you know if you heard that story there was uh, one of his disciple one day he went to a river okay and the river was dirty with mud so he went to buddha and asked buddha that, that the river is really dirty and it's fully mud and people are really worried how is it going to get cleaned and can you help uh, do something suggest what we can do because it's getting tough and you're enlightened so you can you know a lot of stuff so can you tell us and guide us into this so buddha said you know just go back and um, look at that river after like six seven hours or something like that so after some time the disciple go, the disciples goes again to the river and they find the river is completely cleaned up it cleaned itself because the the mud automatically with the flow of the water cleaned itself they came back and they're pretty shocked because they asked buddha so the buddha said just think of that river as the mind any problem any stage any kind of any kind of mentality any kind of thing or any kind of knowledge that you have it comes and it could be dirty but it will automatically get cleared or healed over time you get your leg amputated in 2020 are you still in that pain in a way no you have you forgot about it obviously you forgot that operation also that all moments because our mind keeps on moving and moving and we're in the present and living in the present is also at most important that story teaches you that everything will pass with time. Your knowledge will be clean. Don't worry about that. Just keep on. Just like you are. You're not worried anywhere. Look at you. I, 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 I will say this again. The second time I said this on the pre-call. No one can tell that you have cancer. I can I can write that on the paper. Because you have such a beautiful smile. All that energy. And that is that positiveness that I think has been also really keeping you going. Because you know. A lot of people can get frustrated and really negative and it's not their fault as well as you mentioned it's not because they're just so helpless at that stage and uh, i think you're on a good stage pretty lucky that you have such a supporting family a lot of people you know that is also on really good everything has been in a good support so you can be proud of that i guess and uh, <laughs> in a way so i guess our listeners i think must have been so enthralled hearing your story but anything you like to share at last uh, there, I, there's, there's so many, so many things. I, I guess I'll, I'll end with this story. Um, th there was a very young nurse when I first met her, she was about 25 years old and she was already a nurse, but she was in training on the unit where I get my infusions every three weeks. And about eight months later, she was taking care of me by herself. And, and you'll like this story because this has an Amazon connection when you were talking about Bezos a minute ago. And uh, so she's taking care of me eight months later and she comes in and she says, Terry, I've got a story I want to tell you. 
but I'm a little uncomfortable telling it to you. And, and I didn't know how to respond to that. I said, well, it sounds like I might enjoy it. I hope you decide you want to tell me. And so for the next couple of hours, she's in and out giving me my medicine and things like that. And then finally she comes in, she sits down and she's like, all right, here's the story. She said, when I first met you, I was going to leave nursing. I was going to get out of nursing. And I was, I'd had a very good friend of mine die. I was in a very dark place. I talked to my parents. I was going to get out of nursing and I was going to go to work for Amazon. And she said, and then I met you and I see what you go through. I see how you struggle when you get your treatments and things like that. And then I went back in your file and I read about all the things you've done, all the, the treatments you've had over these last 11 years. And she said, when I finished reading your story, I knew where I was supposed to be. And it was right here as a nurse. Now, if she would have never told me that story, I would have had no idea how much my life had had a positive impact on her. We never know. We never know who's watching us, you know, how, however we're conducting our lives, who would say, gosh, I just, just give me five minutes to be in his shoes or in her shoes and walk that life. That's what I want. We have no idea who we influence in our lives. In what and there was a basketball coach when I was growing up, and, and he had a saying, and it went like this. A careful person I want to be, a little person follows me. I dare not go astray for fear they may go the same way. Now, I'm not telling you to live a life that's not true to yourself. You absolutely need to live the life that you were, you were put on this earth to do. But understand that no matter how dark, how ugly, how terrible you think your life is, the light in your soul will never, ever be able, or the, the light in your soul will always be greater than that darkness you have in your life. And realize that you're setting an example, whether you like it, whether you know it or not, you're setting an example for other people to live their life. You know, that's pretty true, uh, um, what you said. And I think a lot of times, you know, we are walking down the line, we're talking, we don't know. We, like, let's say you give a speech at a college or like a, in a group of people, you know, sitting 20 people there, one of them might be so inspired. One of them, might his whole life might be, you're not aware of that. Like, you try, I know this because I've heard this from so many people that, how this influenced them and influenced them and they never realized this and they got later on someone told me that or told them that like oh how you inspired me how you changed my life and you know even that example you give is such a great example that might think oh man I'm, that's why i'm here because god wants me to help these people maybe inspire them and i'm, I'm on that purpose because obviously the existence of or if i say god wants us here to do something that's why we're here unless there's no purpose just to be you know but I think all the time that I always have, this is an amusement park that we are here to enjoy. That's because it's temporary. So enjoy it as fully whatever you have. And obviously, um, be kind, be nice, no matter what you do, what fate, not fate. Because it's not about fate, right? It is about being nice. It's a nice thing to do. It is a, a moral thing to do. Being bad, is not, it's not about that if you, love, if, you, if you believe in a God or not. Being bad is not a good thing. For for example, Hitler was such a such a proud Catholic, or sorry, Christian. So he was he used to go to church. He killed Jews because he hated them. Because you know why he hated Jewish. So he he was a devoted Christian. Who would say he used to believe so much in God? He was a vegetarian. Hitler was a vegetarian. Who would believe that? 
it's just this that Srikusmaga. So see, that's the thing. He did all the bad things and he could claim himself like on the bad day. I did everything because I'm supposed to I'm, I'm doing what I have to do. So this is something you can see. It's no one can see. God cannot God can show you the way, help you find a way, even make a, a path for you, opportunity for you, everything. But he cannot, he will not walk for, walk that for you. You have to walk that. Because it's your walk. It's, it's not his walk. His walk is done. He's already, it's your walk. He can just show you the way, but he, he's not going to walk for you. So you have to walk. And there are going to be problems. There are going to be struggles. But know that those struggles are for your own good. People always look the negative side. That, oh, I'm struggling. I'm suffering. No. That could be, like for you, if you have taken a suffering as suffering, you would be suffering. But you took that as a transformative. And you think that I'm, uh, this is a great experience. I'm going to live through it and I'm going to inspire people. Someone else in your place would think, I don't want, I don't want to just disconnect with the world. I, I don't want to look anybody on face. You want not live, live with your family, you would have been isolated. Some people just go into that hibernation state. They don't want to leave anybody. They're so depressed. And, you know, I, I, I have heard so many sad stories that make me really sad also in a way, but I, I don't know. And I, I sometimes, because I come from the place here, we believe in reincarnation. So I think that kind of ha- makes me happy that I know that they will be reincarnated, they will be getting a new life. And that, at least for me, it makes me really proud that hey, this life is not in a way. But you never have to think that your life is wasted. Don't think that. That's why a lot of people quit, no matter if you're Christian or whatever. You, you think your life is a waste, so I should quit. Quitting is not the way. Quitting is cowardness. Fighting, because I, you know, I, I tell to you, if you, if you know, in 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 here there was a in Mahabharata war, which was an ancient war that uh, religious war that happened in, in here. There was God Sri Krishna and Arjuna, the char- uh, the warrior. So Arjuna against him on the battle has his forefathers teachers and all his family against him that he has to battle and he's afraid that how will he battle his forefathers and his teachers groups that he learned his whole life and lessons how he, he to pick the weapons from how are you going to battle and kill them in this righteous battle god is telling him that it is your duty and he tells such a great thing that I, I don't think anyone can forget and you should hear this if you're going to fight this and kill these people and die while fighting, you're going to attain heaven. Because you did your duty, because you had to, because this was your duty, you did your moral right that you as a warrior, you fight the righteous war. You're going to die, you're going to get heaven. If you win the battle, you're going to get the worldly pleasure, the whole kingdoms, everything that you deserve. It's your whole right. That's why this is the righteous war. It's your right. But if you run away now, if you say, no, I don't want to fight, I don't want to do anything, I'm going to run away because I'm afraid, it will be considered a cowardly act, you would have to live like a beggar. And now whatever comes in your way, whatever you get from you know the nature, you have to accept it without questioning it. Because just imagine life as a warrior. You, a warrior dreams of such events that I have given this positive being such big war, the biggest war in the history now. And you have gotten this opportunity to be the prime actor in this war. And you now you decide you're afraid. And you know, this happens a lot in life. That's a great example because sometimes in life, let's say you're, you're a basketball player. You're finally dreaming of that dream you always want to play. Now the opportunity has come to your doors. You're afraid. Oh, it is finally here, but now I'm afraid. It's just at the last moment, you get afraid. 
And that is something, you know, that's why I say we have to keep saying nice mantras, be positive and connected with ourselves so we don't get this anxiety. And that's why I think being spiritual is not not all this being connected with some kind of a deity or God. It's being connected with yourself as spirituality, I, I think, to get it into a next level in a modern time. But people, as I said, being people just... And I think sometimes people are happy like that, being negative. They, they, they like that nature to be negative. Or, and, you know, I heard these people saying, oh, girls only like bad men, you know. These, these are, these, you heard these uh, things, and I don't know how these things go on in the world, but people like that. Oh, only bad man. Oh, the bad man who's in a big bike, you know, dashing suit, talks crap. He's the only one who has all girls. A man who's really simple, extremely nice and humble. Nobody likes him. He's the one who's going to get the perfect girl, not you. Because you're going to find the girls who only loves you for that nature, not you, right? That's one thing that you will realize later on, I think. And people being people young, so it happens. But, and you should mention that uh, coach of yours said, your first 20 years the life when you have no responsibilities at all are your most important time. And I really agree with that thing that this first 20 years, I think we can let them them be selves and also teach them nice things as a parent, but not enforce them too much. Give them their space also, but keep them in check, especially in the West, you know how it is. So you have to keep them in check and make sure they are doing fine. And obviously your responsibilities do whatever you can. Now your daughter is married. You mentioned, I think if you did. So that's one thing. And oh, okay, tell me something about that event because I think you are, you must be so happy seeing your daughter graduate and marry because that time you were told like, oh, only five years you got or something like that. And you prayed to God that I want to see her graduation, but you saw her marriage. Maybe you're going to see her kids or something. So tell me something about that. Yeah, I, it was uh, it was amazing. I, I was able to walk her down the aisle using a prosthetic leg. Wow. Uh, it was something I worked hard to do, uh, you know, in my in between having my treatments and things like that. It was a she was a beautiful bride. It was a beautiful day. Her husband's a great guy. I, I, it was it was just so nice for me to, you know, I, I, I'm cooped up in the house so much. You know, we talked about the issues with COVID and I, it was just nice to be around people and and people having fun and being together. And, you know, it, it was I didn't have to think about being sick or going to the hospital or having treatment at all. It, it, it was it was a magic day and, and it's something I, I I wish I could relive, but hopefully she'll stay married to him for the rest of her life and, and I won't have to walk her down the aisle again. And I, I'm just, my wife and I couldn't be prouder of her and her husband. And you must be really happy with that moment because uh, you never thought in a way, you see on a way, but seeing that moment made you so much happy in my and you, you strengthened your faith as well because seeing and you, you walked her down the aisle you know that's also something that you know all the responsibilities you did you completed what you you know responsibly so there was no nothing left that you could say i didn't complete that response so that was another i should say checklist checked but yeah i wanted to ask my final question to you i've had me this on my question this is my own question uh, I asked this before. I, 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 uh, if you had a, let's say you were fit and fine now, you had a, let's say maybe you had a bucket list. What do you wanted to do if you, you were fully, uh, again, full? What do you want to do that you really want to do right now that I just want to? Something. This is going to sound really goofy. Um, there was a movie made back in 
I want to say the late 1980s, in 88, 89, it was a baseball movie. It was called uh, Field of Dreams. And that, that it, was a, it was a movie that basically a farmer um, mowed under his corn and made a baseball field. And it was really a baseball field so that his father's spirit could come back and play baseball. It's a, it's a really great movie, it, but it sounds kind of goofy. That, that field exists. That field is in a state here in the United States, Iowa. And I, I, would, I would like to go with my daughter and play catch. I would like to be on that field with her and just throw a baseball around. That, that would be on my bucket list. Do that, really. Yeah. And that would really make you happy. And I hope so you can do that. And, and you know, I, technology is growing at such a fast stage, you know. Some of you think that a cure could be developed of this because you're on trial of that medicine that you mentioned. Because I think medicines and everything is growing in a such a fast stage and uh, science is going in a fast stage. You you mentioned about the prosthetic leg. Like 20 years from, 20 years from the prosthetic leg. So not that of a sort of a thing. Now it's such a thing that is available and everything. So it has come. And obviously health insurance and everything. The policies have become more clear before it used to be a little bit goofy the health insurance company you know how it was now it has become a main mainstream so everything is a bit more modern so i think that had uh, kind of helped you so you have come down to 15 years or 12 years from this fight so you must have seen the development of technology and every everything and more modern pcs to smartphones and all so what do you think is the future of medicine and you think a cure can be developed for your disease what do you think um Yes. I, you know, I, I think about 11 years ago, I was told I was going to die. You know, that I, I, they don't have anything for me. They can't do anything to try to cure this disease other than to cut it out. And, you know, it was, you know, it was in my lungs and it was in my leg. It, it was everywhere. So they really couldn't cut it out. And, and look what they've done in 11 years. So, yes, I think, you know, with, with, with AI and, and all the things that are coming down the pike, I think absolutely, uh, in my lifetime, I don't know, uh, but that's that's not important to me. If if I can be part of this research that is, you know, maybe won't save my life, but might save the life of somebody five years from now, ten years from now, that I don't even know that I that I will never meet. That to me is, you know, being part of something that's bigger than yourself. And and I think that goes back to something I learned in team sports. You know, that you realize on a team that if you don't do your job. Not only do you let yourself down, but you let your teammates down, your coaches down, your fans down, et cetera. And if you think about it, the biggest team game that we all play is, life. is this game of life. So thank you so much for uh, joining us on uh, today on the show, Terry. And uh, your insights were incredibly valuable. And your story, I think, has inspired, I think, so many people right now listening to us uh, somewhere around the world, somewhere. And, uh, and I hope so they learn something. And they could go on the fight. And then what you mentioned about that you could be part of that 10 years from now, nobody has to face this. That would be incredible. And I think that's something that you're trying to achieve. That would be your main thing that nobody else, else has to face this. But you're a living example of what a, a person, even at the most terrible thing that could happen to him, they could still fight and live like, oh, this is the most normal life that I can live. Look at your face that I keep. I will keep saying this all the day that you have a beautiful face and uh, I could see that the photo of you. Is that your photo behind you? Uh, That's my daughter. My daughter looks like me. So really, I, <laughs> I can see that. 
So I, I thought what what movie that's you that's your daughter really. So she's she she's also in a police force or something like that. She's uh, in the military here in the United States. I see. So again, your insights were incredibly valuable. So we really appreciate you taking the time to come on the show and the platform and speak it out and share with the people and our listeners. And thank you so much, Terry. Well, thank you for having me on. I really enjoyed speaking with you today. Thank you for tuning in to Spirituality with Tattooist today. I hope you enjoyed our conversation and gained some valuable insights from it. As we wrap up, Remember that spirituality and philosophy and science are not separate entities, but rather interconnected aspects of our search for deeper understanding. Keep questioning, keep exploring, and always trust your inner wisdom. And if you want to support the show and buy me a coffee, you can find the link in the description down below. Also, don't forget to connect with me on my social media. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter, where I share reels and behind-the-scenes content from the podcast. I love to hear your thoughts and feedback on today's episode. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to our channel so you never miss an episode. And you can also watch the audio version of the show on your favorite podcast platform. So once again, thank you for joining us today. And remember to keep seeking the truth, wherever it may lead you. See you next time. Thank you.